0: It Out with me, I'm your host, Katie Delbout. If you're new, welcome for the first time. Since 2013, I've been talking to fascinating people. I have really long-form conversations with them, although I'm trying to make them shorter. I really am. I promise you, it's better for everyone if they're a bit shorter. But this week, you know, that's just not the way the cookie crumbled, okay? I have an amazing guest. Her name is Laura Wagstaff and we talk about her story. And her story is so fascinating. Her outlook so interesting. I don't even want to give too much information in the intro because I really think that she did such a beautiful job telling her story in this episode and I'm really proud of that. I'm proud that I was just able to be there and facilitate this and bring her story to your ears in this podcast. We talk about the hospitality industry, which she grew up in and works in and has been very successful in. She's currently at the Nomad Hotel here in New York City, but you'll hear all about her winding career path, as well as her wellness path, as well as just so many things we talk about the hospitality industry like I said also the medical industry and the intersection between both of them we get into restaurant culture true wellness and much more I again I'm not going to say too much I recorded this episode on her very cozy couch in the West Village just on Sunday a couple days before you're hearing this. And I had to move this up to be aired today because it was so fresh in my mind. I left her apartment and walked home. And after this conversation, I completely changed how I felt based on listening to this. And I'm not sure if you've ever had that experience after listening to a podcast, positive or negative Or music but it really affected my mood and I want to get to it as quickly as possible because like I said it's a good story but it's a long story she's a fascinating person with one hell of a journey and an outlook so please stick around and listen to Laura I will let you hear from her before we get to it just a couple announcements thank you so much for listening again this is my favorite thing I've ever done and I would always win this award when I was a kid which is really kind of like a backhanded compliment or backhanded award called the most improved player because I was so bad at sports but I tried swimming and tennis and basketball and I'd always get most improved at the banquet at the end of the year which mainly means you were really bad but you had a good attitude and you showed up for practice so look, we should give you something. I want to be the most improved podcaster. I've taken it upon myself that I know I'm not perfect and I want to get better. So please stick around. There's lots of great guests coming up, lots of great ideas and new things I'm going to be bringing to this podcast. So if you've been listening for a long time, that message is mainly for you. If you're new, I hope you check out the archive and stick around and subscribe. Subscribing helps out a lot, and I would love if you did so. If you want to meet in person, if you're here in New York City, on July 25th, I'm doing a full moon event with my friends at Splendid Spoon and Mama Medicine. I would love to see you there. It's at 6 p.m., it's going to be a lot of fun. The link is in the show notes. And then, again, just a couple days after that, actually, on July 31st at 8 p.m., at the Alchemist Kitchen here in the east village one of my favorite spots in the city i'm leading a interactive workshop about creative writing and anxiety and i would love to have you there as well and then if you're in philly or you want to be in philly i think there's still tickets for the good fest i it might be sold out i'm really not sure but i am hosting the good fest this year i am the MC. So if you want to come, I can give you $15 off a ticket if you use my name. Literally just drop my name, Katie about 15 at checkout. Two more very quick things before we get to the episode with Laura. I can't stop smiling about what I'm about to talk to you about. It's a honestly, it's a brand that is sponsoring this podcast that I I can't stop smiling about it. I'm so excited. It's for Sigmatic. And listen, I met the founder, Taro, years ago. It was 2013. It was before I had a podcast. I had a tiny little blog called The Wellness Wonderland. Maybe some of you listening remember. Many of you probably don't. And it was the first time I ever got something sent to me in the mail for me to try before anyone else and it was these beautiful packets of four sigmatic they didn't look anything like they look today the packaging was much different but the products were still great they're even better now they have way more now but i loved them then and i love them now and you might remember taro from a couple episodes ago he came on the podcast and we met in person here in new york city for the first time And it was a delight. You can go back and listen to that episode. But I would love for you to check out their products because I use them every single day. I love them. If you go to Four Sigmatic slash Katie, you can get 15% off your order. And here's some ways that I like to use their products. I love their Mushroom Chai. I think it's one of their newest products, if not their newest. It's great because you just have to mix it in hot water and it already has some coconut milk powder in it you can add a little bit more coconut milk or almond milk or oat milk or whatever kind of milk you like and it makes this beautiful frothy chai latte which i love so much i also right before this i just ate breakfast and i love mixing their powders into my yogurt I love having coconut yogurt in the morning and instead of adding stevia or a sweetener, I'll just add in a full packet of any of their mushroom excels. Today I did the hot chocolate mix and oh my gosh, it was so good. It tasted like I was having ice cream that was like a little bit melted, beautiful chocolate ice cream. It was so delicious. Highly recommend that. Producer Amanda loves putting it in her oatmeal, which I thought was a hot tip, so you're welcome for that. If you're unfamiliar what For Sigmatic is, they are multi-purpose, multi mushroom elixir products these are superfood mushrooms that come in a wide variety from mushroom coffees to hot cacao mixes to different exilers you can put them in smoothies you can drink them straight up they make a matcha product chai like i said a hot cocoa many coffees and teas check them out you can get 15 percent off of your order by going to Forsigmatic.com slash Katie and enter the code Katie, that's my name, K-A-T-I-E, at checkout for 15% off. That's Forsigmatic.com slash Katie, and then use the code Katie for 15% off. Honestly, I love them so much, and I really hope you guys Give them a chance. Check them out. They also have a great blog and even a mushroom academy where you can learn more about mushrooms and the science behind them. This week, I want to talk about a new company that I recently discovered and love just as much as Four Sigmatic, but in a very different category. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you know that I've been fascinated with thinking about our relationships to technology, specifically our phones, and even more specifically, social media. That's why I found this app that I've been using and I really love called Lil Space. That's L-I-L space. The app is all about building community and taking breaks from our phones so we can feel connected even when we are disconnected from technology. It helps you to break bad habits with your phones. I believe we're all addicted to our telephones. I'm addicted to my telephone, which is why I have this app that helps me to break the habit and maybe make some healthier ones by rewarding me for the time that I spend disconnected. This app has groups and activities where you can choose to disconnect or have some time doing anything from being mindful to yoga mindful eating even journaling and you can see how many others are disconnected in your group and it makes you feel less alone you can unplug to support causes and earn rewards it's really cool and it inspires me to put away my phone and be more present and be more mindful. And it honestly makes my life a lot better and that's why I wanted to share it with you. If you want to try it, just search for Little Space in the App Store or go to L-I-L-Space.com to download it on your phone, and you can simply track your time while being unplugged. And here's the thing that I'm most excited about. Like I said, they reward you for taking your breaks, and they support meaningful causes. And this month for July, I actually got to choose a cause. So you can join the Let It Out Unplug For A Cause Challenge, and this month, On Little Space, you can support Real Girl. It's my favorite charity. It's the charity that I'm wanting to support. If you don't know about Real Girl, it's a cause that helps basically teach everything I've taught myself in my 20s to young girls. And I love them so much. I've had their founder on, my friend Val introduced me to them. I've had Val on talking about them. I've had their founder, Anea, on. You can learn more about them in those episodes. But for every minute you're unplugged, we will raise $1 to donate to Real Girl, an organization that supports inspiring and guiding girls towards reaching their highest potential. Thank you so much to getlittlespace.com for supporting this podcast, and thank you so much for listening. Sorry this intro was long. I love you guys, and enjoy my conversation with Laura. Thanks for reaching out or for you know agreeing to hang. I'm so pumped to meet yeah, you. Yeah. I I read your keynote and I was just I read it on the subway yesterday and I was in tears. Oh and just that's like so sweet. It touched me so much. Mm-hmm. So you're you're a fascinating person. I, I think I wanna start in the beginning. So sure. you mentioned you grew up in Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. What were you like as a kid? Do you have brothers and sisters? Yes. What are your parents like? Tell me everything. Oh my gosh, I will tell you everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, open book. So I grew up in the
1: Berkshires in Massachusetts. Uh, very quaint little town. I was the first child born in that village without stoplights in 30 years. Oh so my it was gosh. like nothing. No one was there. My parents um, were sort of born in cities. My dad was from Detroit. My mom from Manhattan. And they are nine years apart, but they met in the Berkshires and were hippie-esque in the best way. Um, And so my mom was like ahead of the whole like all natural organic trend way before that was cool Cool. and interesting. We went to the co-op that was normal when I was little. And uh, my dad is this fascinating guy that's lived like nine lives and I feel like he should have a movie about him he's just done so many cool things and has tried so many things Mm -hmm. um his father was in the car business and he like big car guy in Detroit in the 50s which is awesome that was like the time for that and he um was in finance he then quit it all and went to Morocco and smoked a lot of weed and traded beads and just was like a hippie in Spain and Morocco and then he landed in the Berkshires and was sort of a carpenter restoration expert because there's such beautiful colonial buildings in the Berkshires and in New England and he was always very taken by great architecture and landscape and he, him, he and two artist buddies like restored these the, a couple of these buildings, which ended up being our home and and things. And he was also a dairy farmer, and then got into hospitality. He's literally done like everything. It's wow. amazing, and uh, and got, has great stories to go along with all those adventures. But he, um, so they met in the Berkshires, and they had a restaurant for twenty five years. In the 1760 stagecoach stop, which is this sort of grandfathered-in, really charming place that's all candlelit, um, and so there's no, there's electricity in the kitchen and the bar, oh my God, but it's how the whole dining room's all candlelight. It's really gorgeous. Is it still there? Mm-hmm. Wow. It's called the Old Inn on the Green, and they sold it to their executive chef in like 2001 or something like that. And then down the road, where he tried his hand at being a dairy farmer for about what? Uh, I think he did it for about a good four years and then realized, gosh, no one in the 80s wants artisanal milk. They want, like, hood and on the cheap. This isn't going to, and my wife's pregnant, and this isn't going to work. So he 86 sixed that and was like, what do I do now? And turned the existing barns that were these beautiful uh, turn-of-the-century barns into where the cows lived, he turned that uh, into lodging. So there's 16 guest rooms currently there. And then the uh, spa- the big barn that had, originally had horses, which we didn't have, and then sheep, and it's this massive three-story barn. He, like a Normandy-style barn, he turned that into a big banquet kitchen, reception area, and event space. So oh. I grew up in the business, um, which was really wonderful. My mom was the baker, and my dad got into wine and did like the finance and the business side of it. So my upbringing was very unique, and I have a brother that's uh, two years younger than I am. And we, I think, were sort of forced to socialize in the best way, you know, like family business that you live at, so when the phone's ringing and nobody's at the front desk, like, you need, kids need to learn how to answer the phone, because it would transfer to our house if nobody answered at the front desk, because they had a very small team. And um, we would always have guests checking in and getting confused because we didn't the signage like wasn't awesome and so they'd like knock on our front door when we're sitting in our pajamas watching very scratchy tv saturday morning cartoons like is this where we check in and so we <laughs> you just like learn to deal yeah. with all kinds of people so there was a, a really kind of beautiful fusing between um work and home were one and i think that was something that my brother and i have both taken with us to hearts so we both love our work and work a lot, but we don't find it, like, they're not in conflict with each other. It's this emerging thing. Anyway, um, so I grew up in the business, and then I went to Boston University and studied advertising to sort of try something else other than hospitality, and, um, and I somehow got out of having to, like, be a server at the restaurant. I think I sweet-talked my way into just, like, I would host sometimes. I would do, like, breakfast service sometimes, and then... Coke check occasionally if there were, like, bribes with snacks. Um, And my brother was much more involved. They'd be like, someone called out, no dishwasher tonight, you're on. He'd be like, what? I'd be like, sorry, I guess I get to watch all dogs go to heaven by myself. He's like, you're the worst. I was like, sorry, (laughs) good luck. Um, Because it was five houses down from where we grew up. Um, And then at BU, I studied advertising and did an internship studying abroad in London and thought well, this is great, and I love London, I'll just do this. This is like pre-Mad Men. And I always knew I wanted to move to New York after college because I had family here and always loved New York and loved the city life from growing up in the country. And then thought, well, I have a brilliant idea. I'll just do PR and marketing for a restaurant, because I love food and wine and Gourmet Magazine. This is like pre-social media. This is 2004. Mm-hmm. And so I wrote a letter to Drew Near Nierperant, who has like Tribeca Grill, and he did Nobu and everything, and Danny Meyer. And was like, hey, um, it's me. I'm in college. <laughs> and don't worry. I'll just do all your PR and marketing. And they were like, sweet. Um, you're sweet, you have no New York City restaurant experience, we know you You come from a hospitality background, and, like, kids your age aren't as into this industry yet, so, like, you, you know, we will answer your letter kind of thing, whereas now, I mean, it's just such a different world. Mm-hmm. And they were like, so, here's the thing about Pure and marketing, restaurant groups aren't even really groups at this point, it's, like, a handful of restaurants, and we don't, we have, like, our sister does it, and she's not going anywhere, it's not, or it's... Um, you know, sourced with the outside agency, and even still it's done very lightly, it's not to the degree which it is now, and I was like, okay, they're like, so why don't you just, you know, Drew near prance you can be in our manager training program, and Danny's like, why don't you interview to be my assistant, or you can interview to work at the Museum of Modern Art, because we just opened that, and it's a really great team, and why don't you get some experience in our company, and, and whatever, if you want to move here.
0: And I was like, "Mm, I don't
1: know. So I applied to like 10 ad agencies at the same time. And
0: was like, I'll just be an account manager. It's crazy that they even answered your email. Yeah. It was a letter. It was so old school. I mailed a letter. And you had no connection to them? Danny
1: had been to my parents' restaurant twice. But that's like twice in his life. Like it's not a thing since like the 80s. And so he remembered the inn because it's really charming. And he knows right. Berkshires. His best friend has a house up there, a second home. And Drew, I didn't know, um, but I knew one of his partners. Mm-hmm. So one of his partners replied to me and was like, hey, you can do the manager and training program. And then Danny's head of HR at the time mm-hmm. wrote me back and was like, why don't you come to New York? Let's talk. And this is pre his book Setting the Table and all this stuff. So there wasn't really anything on the internet about them. There was like mm-hmm. one article in Cranes. And then... Um, I knew I wanted to be in New York, as I said, so I, and I thought I was gonna do advertising if the, the restaurant marketing thing didn't work out. But the ad agencies that I applied to were like, sure, you can be like our fourth assistant. And I was like, you guys, I did one internship. I'm definitely ready to be an account manager. And they were like, not a thing. And I was like, okay. So I uh, chatted with, I interviewed with Danny and then I interviewed with um, Will Gadara who is my dear friend and current boss. And he was the general manager at the MoMA cafes, um, visitor cafes at MoMA and was like, you should join this team. You need New York city experience. Like you can't just jump in to be Danny Meyer's assistant without any experience. Like you're just not going to get the respect from the other operators of like Gramercy Tavern and all these restaurants. And I was like, you make a good point. And so I decided, um, let's do it. And my dad gave me the best advice that I've told many people um to this day he's like okay slow your role, you're 21 um what happens in a year if you do this job and you decide you don't like it and i'm like i mean i find another job he's like yeah and guess what you like have a job a salary you live in new york city you're experiencing opening of a museum you get to know learn a new skill set you meet people w- what is the downside and i was like okay and so I always tell people that when they're like, I don't know, I'm freaking out. And I'm like, okay, what happens in a year if yeah. you did it and hated it? And they're like, I'm fine. I'm like, mm-hmm, you're fine. Such good advice. So <laughs> yeah. it was good. Good old dad. But uh, so I did it, and it was such a good decision. It was a wonderful, young management team. And from there, I worked for Danny Meyer for seven years managing his restaurants. Um, I was at MoMA, then I was at Eleven Madison Park doing guest relations, and um, prior to it getting its four stars in the New York Times and then all of its Michelin accolades, but when it was on the track to wanting to be a really fine dining restaurant. So that was a really fun experience, like, learning what change is like at an operation. What does
0: guest relations mean?
1: So that's, like, mm, overseeing the host maitre d's coat check and any guest-related emails. Like, you know, any kind of general inquiries, whether it's, like, rave emails or complaints or I have this thing that I want to do for my wife or I want to propose Like help. Mm. So anything kind of, when there's so many dining room managers they generally have areas of expertise and so my area was just dealing with Um, anything relating to like the dining experience that was a bit more general rather than like wine focused or Mm -hmm. service focused Um, and so I did that and then I looked around and thought gosh I don't want anyone's job at this restaurant and I'm working a lot and I love it but what am I working towards Uh, and so setting the table had come out Danny's book which is all about business and hospitality which is a phenomenal book if nobody's read it it's old school now at this point but it's a great book And they had an opening in um, the corporate office at Union Square Hospitality Group in their culture and learning department, which is like their in-house training department. And every manager that works at Union Square Hospitality Group has about 12 training classes they can take. Some are elective and some are required. And I was so passionate about that. I was like, this sounds great. I love this culture. I love learning how to explain this. I'm so enthusiastic about what the company stands for. And it'll be a different way to use my brain and like a different kind of work. So I did that for three years and we launched a consulting business as well to enhance the Uh, like using the principles of Danny's Culture and and Union Square Hospitality Group that are in Mm -hmm. Setting the Table and sort of parlayed that into different industries like medical, veterinary, uh, Broadway theater companies. People would hire us and say, hey, come and do a culture audit and look at our organization. Let's see where the pitfalls are from like a guest or a patron or a patient experience and from an employee experience. And then based on that, we would make recommendations for training or what we thought they could do from, like, a cultural enhancement standpoint. Um, And that was wonderful and, like, such cool work because you get to learn all about a business, but you don't have to be a vet at the end of the day.
0: Yeah.
1: But then you learn all about, like, you know, people are like, this is our guts, like, this is everything. Yeah. You can read all of our feedback and our like things that aren't going well, and you can have meetings with our leaders, and they'll complain about things, and you know, but you don't have, the consulting thing was kind of fun, because you get involved, but then you're not locked in at the end of the day, which is kind of cool, and then... um, Is that where
0: you met Camilla?
1: So, we actually, she worked for Uniscross Tyler Group, as you know, but we didn't work there at the same time. Mm -hmm. I actually met her because we planned um, her five-year wedding anniversary, and I think it was... 30th birthday at the same time um of event at the nomad on the roof and we kind of bonded over that we'd met before but we like became pals from that experience yeah um and she's such a delight and so we and such a force i love her such a force and we uh uh anyway so i did that and then will the guy that i worked for at the museum of modern art said hey we're starting our own company. I bought 11 Madison Park from Union Square Hospitality Group, and we are partnering with this company, and we are going to do all the food and beverage exclusively at the Nomad Hotel. It's a new hotel that's going to open, you know, next year. Do you want to do the events and be in on it? And I was really excited for a change. You know, you just get that itch sometimes mm-hmm. in life. And I was like, this feels and sounds really right. And I want to try it, and I want to be a part of a hotel and an opening. It just sounds so exciting. And it was one of the best decisions I ever made. And I've just been there for like
0: six and a half years, and I'm so happy there. So cool. And it's been great. So what are you doing now at The Nomad?
1: So for the whole company, which basically is Made Nice, our fast casual concept, The Nomad, which is in Los Angeles and soon to open in Vegas um, in the fall, and there's obviously Nomad in, The Nomad in New York. Um, we also have Love Madison Park. And then we did a pop-up. Um, this is our second summer doing Love Madison Park Summer House in the Hamptons, which oh, is fun. Oh, cool. um, So I oversee all the culture uh, for the company um, and, and the events in the sense that I'll help make sure everyone's happy in their roles and help with big events or help with any problems and... Whatever it requires, yeah. um, there's a lot of autonomy to my role, which is I think one of the reasons I love it so much. There's yeah. lots of trust, which I think you need at any organization, and to be successful in a role, you just can't feel smothered. Yeah, a lot of people don't do well with that. Yeah, <laughs> um, and I love it, and it's been really fun. I mean, the kind of events we plan are just vast and super glamorous, and then super not and super romantic and sweet, and then incredibly corporate and serious. And it's yeah. I think that's one of the best things that. The range of things that you get to sort of have your hand in planning.
0: Yeah, you, you're probably never bored. Never. So, your parents mm-hmm. work, and do they still have the. They
1: still have the farm, Gedney Farm, where they do weddings. I want to go. Is, oh, man, it's so charming. Yeah, and you got to check out the inn. Yeah. It's just it so special.
0: It's like they were kind of into, and you guys had to live it growing up, into Airbnb culture, mm-hmm. meeting people. It sounds like that could be a great movie. Mm-hmm. Just totally. Just oh like, yeah, all the characters. Yeah. yeah, and my dad at like
1: 4 a.m. idiot um, groomsman at weddings, it's a major wedding venue, yeah. like trying to be romantic and like light the fireplace with the flue closed oh, and getting the fire alarm to go off, and then of course like in the town, the like second grade teachers also the volunteer firemen so, like. Jim's trying to sleep and Jim's gotta get up and like deal with that and it's just like the small town charm that goes with the territory
0: in the best way. So what do they think of you getting into essentially the family business of hospitality? Is your brother in hospitality? Do your parents come to your restaurants and your events? Yes.
1: So they are super supportive and they love it. I mean they totally geek out in the best way and my whole family's always been into food and wine and my my parents are great cooks and I grew up with just everyone having a very strong food sensibility. It's like an obsession in a healthy, fun way. Like everyone just loves food and restaurants and recipes and playing with things. And I don't know. Um, it's definitely a big part of when we travel, where are we are going to eat? You know, all that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, my mom's Jewish and my dad's, uh, Episcopalian. My mom, it's a big part of how she grew up as well. Um, with a very food focused family and my brother. So they're incredibly supportive and they're wonderful and they, uh, um, are very proud and pleased. And they, it's fun for them because, you know, seeing how much the industry's changed and evolved and it was always legit to them because it was their mm-hmm. livelihood as well. Whereas I have other friends whose parents have been like, why aren't you a lawyer? I hate this. And, um, and mine were always like, this is cool. Great. Like if you're into it, it's hard. And I was like, yeah, I, I I've seen that. I grew up with it, but, um, my brother's in the energy business. He works for an energy consulting company mm-hmm. in Boston. He was in San Francisco, which is his passion, but he, the company's based in Boston, and he got a promotion, so he's hanging on the East Coast, which is nice for all of us, because yeah. he's much closer, which is fun.
0: Yeah, and it sounds like you guys are very close. We're very close, yeah. He's the best. So in December 2014, yes, something very significant mm-hmm. happened in your life, and your brother was the first person that you called. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about that? Yeah, of course. So,
1: very crazy, but... I think in like a, I have a very, I don't know if, and everything I'm saying is so genuine and true. It's like honestly how I feel and how I felt the whole time. But um, I really think things do happen for a reason and I have zero uh, regret or remorse about it because I think everything brings you to where you are right now, for better or for worse. And uh, so December 2014, I very out of the blue, after, having a very minor ham, like pulled my hamstring in an Equinox boot camp about eight months prior, got it all checked out and was like, oh, what is something is still um, lingering in my hamstring, even though it's healed and I have no symptoms and I feel totally fine and I'm very busy at work and I take my job very seriously. And yeah, also, yeah, time. and we were, it was still in the beginning days and we were planning so many events and we had a much smaller team. So I was working an obscene amount of hours and loved it but I didn't really have time to like pay attention to kind of myself in a sense, but um, I got all these uh, scans, or you know MRIs and things on my hamstring, and it turned out um, December 2014 that I got very surprisingly diagnosed with a super rare soft tissue cancer called synovial sarcoma, and there are 70 different types of sarcomas, and the reason there's a lot of fear around a rare cancer such as a sarcoma is because it's soft tissue so it can you become like a by the way but like a side doctor expert because you become obsessed and study and like you become your own advocate so you have to kind of learn yeah. everything so it's really interesting what you um pick up when you have to study really i've <laughs> fast. done that with like a bug bite yeah. or a like tooth thing i can i can't even imagine right. with something of that with, like gravity. a health crisis totally right. so um and the beautiful thing is there's so many resources now, to sometimes a fault, because you hear, see so many yeah. opinions and things, but it's cool because you can really learn a lot yeah. yourself. Anyway, this the fear around soft tissue cancers and sarcomas is that because it's um, in your soft tissue and where it generally is found in your outer appendages, you know, your arms and legs, it can spread really rapidly, and the fear is it gets into your bloodstream, and then you can get lung cancer. So that is, mm-hmm why there can be such a massive urgency around it. And if you've heard of any other cases, it, it's quite extreme and it can be, if it's spread, it can be a hard thing to make go away and overcome and beat. And I was very fortunate that it was localized just to my hamstring, my my left leg, my semimembranosis, and you have three hamstrings, which I never knew, and it's the middle one. And it was a tumor the size of a hard-boiled egg. And um, I was obviously beyond stunned because the way I was raised was to like, we're all tough and not overly emotional in my family, but also it was like, you know, you're fine. That's everyone's Mm -hmm. like, um, kind of comfort phrase. We always use that. We're fine. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Um, and so even when I was little and would, I could never, my parents would never let me stay home from school unless I was like throwing up or bleeding.
0: I was the same way. I always had perfect attendance. Yeah, I know. They're like, no, you go. I was like, no, okay.
1: They're like, we don't need you around the house all day we're busy too I was like fine um, but they the thing that was actually a bit ironic is I think in retrospect I had been I hadn't been prioritizing myself at all. I'd been just prioritizing work and everyone else in my life and I knew that and so I had planned this eat pray love as we were talking about trip mm. to Bali and Australia by myself for two weeks I'd planned the whole thing, paid for the whole thing over planned the whole thing and that was happening in January, so it was almost there, and then the nurse on the phone was like, I'm so sorry, you're not going to be able to do that trip, and you have to deal with this whole thing, and I was like, damn it, um, and it was ironic, because I was like, no, I'm going to, I'm about to prioritize myself, I'm about to give myself that time, my body, and everything was like, no, 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 we're going to have to press pause now, I was like, Um, And it's also ironic because it's literally the worst timing. December and events in New York City is the busiest time of the year. And so to have to have a crisis like that in the midst of the insanity, like August would have been way more convenient. (laughs) Was also, I think, I found, you know, a little humor and all of that. I was like, this is amazing that this is happening now. But you find good in everything if you look for it. And the beauty in that was it showed me that actually... That that's all kind of BS because you can put things on pause as you need to and everything can be reworked easily no matter if you have the biggest event of your life or no events. Like the things that matter very quickly come into focus in any sort of crisis. Um, and so, yeah, it was very much game on. I dove right in and I called my brother as you were asking because he's very even like... Uh, he's got a very good head on his shoulders. He's also not very emotional, and I needed that at that moment. I was like, I don't need someone to break down on the phone and freak out. He's not going to freak out. We both are very calm in crises or not, and he was like, what? Because it was the most shocking thing Mm -hmm. because that didn't even enter the realm of possibility when I was investigating this tumor in my leg, but I didn't know it was a tumor. I honestly thought it was like a hematoma. So
0: could you feel it?
1: Yeah, but only at certain angles. Okay. So I was like, I don't know, this thing's weird. I should probably deal with it. But mm-hmm. I feel fine. I can exercise. I sleep great. I there's nothing wrong with my blood levels.
0: Like, so did you actually pull the hamstring in the equinox class? Yes. So you did do that. Yes.
1: And they say oftentimes um, a sarcoma tumor comes. It shows its face after a sports injury.
0: So it's a good that you. Yeah. It's it actually awesome because it would have by dormant, it,
1: right. And it could have gotten in the bloodstream. Exactly. Wow. So it's totally, my mom initially was like, what the hell did I was like, no, it's actually a blessing. This is good because yeah. we found it. And then I got a PET scan and it didn't spread. So I was like, that just gets rough. Yeah. You don't want to deal with that. Um, I mean, no one wants to deal with the whole thing. But that you know, there's varying degrees yeah. of severity with all so this stuff. So
0: then, what was kind of the next? So step then,
1: then the next step it was okay. I need to like learn all the information. Um, well, you told your brother. Yeah, I told. Me, oh, so that detailed that I told my brother who was like, "What the hell do I do?" And I was like, uh, cancel my trip." which is horrifying, but I was also like, he needs something to do so he doesn't mm-hmm. like go crazy. And he's really good at travel because he travels for work all the time. And he was so annoyed. It took like six months to close all the wow. everything because people were like, not getting back to him. He need to get letters from oncologists. And it was like, because I booked all, everything, like these tiny little flights and all the hotels and everybody needed proof that I couldn't travel. So we had to get all these letters. Anyway, he, he served, he totally prevailed. Um, and then I couldn't, I asked him to talk to mom and dad because our because our family dog who my mom like got to as the empty nest syndrome solution, we always had dogs growing up, but she got Winnie um, who was her favorite dog to help with the fact that like her kids didn't need her as much anymore. And Winnie passed away four days before. And she was a wreck. It was like the dead of winter. That she was like stressed with work and everything and then this was happening and I was like, I cannot tell mom like she's gonna lose it. And dad will be okay because he's also very like stoic, but I don't want to have that conversation. And then I called my cousin who's a psychologist here in the city and she's also incredibly like even keeled, cool and calm and collected. And I was like, okay, this is what's happening. I need you to come with me to the oncologist tomorrow at 10.45 a.m. And my parents later, you know, got wind of it in two seconds. We're like, we'll come down. I was like, I don't need an army. Like, I just need to meet with this guy and have Coco and Jimmy, my cousins, there to take notes because I'm not going to retain everything. And I know that at least, but I don't need like 15 people and they don't want 15 people there um and my brother was in san francisco at the time and then i called will my boss and friend and he was with his girlfriend whose dog had just passed away as well it was like a crazy moment that week and he's like um he unfortunately had had, his mom had passed away of brain cancer and his dad beat pancreatic cancer but had had pancreatic cancer i think four years before yeah and so i called him and i was like i'm gonna miss work tomorrow because now I apparently have cancer, which I don't believe, because it's in my thigh, and like this is the most bizarre, shocking thing, because I did not, this wasn't part of my life plan, so I'm a little confused. And he was like, wait, 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 what's the worst case scenario here? And I was like, we're in it, this is it. I don't really know another shitty like scenario. If you can think of one, let me know. And he was like, okay, I'll, I'll come back. I, I'll be there at the appointment. I was like, you don't need to be there, but thank you. And he met me right after. I met with Dr. Rosen at NYU Cancer Center on uh, December 5th, 2014, and my best friend was in labor with her second child. The whole thing was like insane. And he goes, um, he's there and he met me outside and he was like, okay, what, what, what do you want to do? Like, do you want to go to the Mandarin Oriental for the day for like a spa day? you what do you need I was like I don't want to be touched I'm like absolutely processing everything my body is not connected to myself like I feel like I'm floating because I don't think this is reality because this doesn't make any sense to me and then he was so sweet and we I remember we went to this like crappy cafe because it was like the only thing there and I didn't care where we were going Mm -hmm. I got a green tea I just remember that we sat there and he was like okay what what's happening like where's your head what what's going on I so this is your emotion. boss, who's also your friend. Mm-hmm. He Why?
0: comes down to the... You followed him to his new company. Yes. And he comes down to, the, to NYU, NYU and, yeah, After to your my,
1: appointment. Well, he offered, and I was like, no, my cousins are going. I don't need an army. But after your
0: appointment. Right he after he was waiting either.
1: outside, because he's the sweetest. He's oh. the best. He's married to um, Christina Tosi of Milk Bar. Oh, cool. They're on. like the sweetest, best couple. Was that his girlfriend at the Yes, time? yes. And um, he... So we sit at this cafe, and he's like, where are you at? And I was like, well, I'm afraid. And I was glad I could at least articulate this. I was like, I'm I'm afraid of three things. He's like, okay, what? And I was like, losing my hair. He's like, okay. I was like, money and work. Like, I don't know how that's all going to work out. Because cancer to me was... Fortunately, I knew nothing about it. So I was like, Mm -hmm. in my mind, like you, it comes, your hair like falls out and it comes back gray. That's what I thought. I also was like, I'm not gonna be able to work for like a year, this is terrible. And also cancer is expensive. So how the hell am I supposed to figure this out? And he was so incredible and he goes, okay, I can help with two out of the three. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, thanks. He's like, don't worry about any of this. We're gonna, don't worry about work and money right now. It's the last thing you need to worry about. We have an army of people that work in our company. You have a whole incredible team. Just breathe. It's fine. I was like, okay. And then he's like, the hair thing. I can't help you with that. And I was like, I know. And um, cause I had a really long hair. And the oncologist was like, what hit me at the core. He he is one of my most favorite humans, and I will forever adore him. And he's retired now, and we still email. But he he was like a he's like a Woody Allen character. <laughs> and doesn't always have, he's like a creative genius mad scientist who doesn't always have the best delivery
0: to things. So this is on who works in the...
1: He's the oncologist at oh, okay. NYU, uh-huh. who I met with, who was trying to be like, hey kid, you have a serious cancer, you need to do chemo, you need to do radiation, you need to do surgery, and you need to do it now. And he was just like, real talk, straight, let's go, this is what's happening, because he also deals with this every day. So to him it was like another case. And I was like, "I'm sorry, you're not speaking English." That's a
0: bedside manner,
1: right? But then he said the thing that struck my core, where I was like, "Oh, this isn't a joke, and this is not going to go away by just going to bed and pretending it's a dream uh, or a nightmare." I he said, "Oh, I'm sorry, you're gonna have to lose all that beautiful hair." And he said that, and I was—it was like one of those things because I knew it was true. <sighs> you know when those things happen? I like got the the shivers, like my whole body, and I was like, "No." And, and I just had this very strong reaction. Like, no, I, th- that might not be the case. He goes... I go, I'm going to get another opinion. I thought that was, like, super strong. I was like, I'm going to get another opinion. He goes, you can do whatever you want, kiddo. Like, get all the opinions you want. He wasn't even condescending. He's like, oh, sure. Shop around. Talk to people. And I talked to six, like, esteemed doctors and surgeons around the country through every connection I had. And they all were like, Dr. Rosen is a god. Like, he set up all the sarcoma hospital the departments in every hospital around the country slash in europe he we all would do the same thing if you were our wife our sister our mom like what he's telling you is is what we would recommend and i was like no and but the thing that was really positive about that is i wasn't getting mixed messages Mm -hmm. like everyone was like this is what you should do you should dive in head first do everything they say, assemble your team and like go for it and crush it. And I was like, okay, They're like it's going to be six months of hell and then it will be over. And I also was fortunate because not, there was no point when my nurses or doctors ever were like, we don't know how it's going to turn out. They were like, you'll be okay. Wow. And that's great. they don't, they didn't know that for sure, but they were like, you have the right attitude and we're catching it early enough and we've seen it work this combination of chemotherapy this intensity of chemotherapy radiation all this stuff we've seen it have a major major success and so we believe you'll be fine and to hear that and i've met other people who just have had very shaky um not even support but just people that are like we hope this works we're not sure or i mean obviously cancer is such a insanely overwhelming massive thing that affects a lot of people, unfortunately, and it ranges so drastically. And there's so many different kinds. Um, so people hear all different kinds of
0: um, diagnoses
1: and, like, you know.
0: But it can really get caught in your head if both ways. If someone yeah. said... I, I feel like I, I'm constantly needing that with even little things yeah. of, like, is it am I going to be okay? Mm-hmm. Is, this, is this person going to call me back? Mm-hmm. Am I going to feel better? Mm-hmm. And I just... I don't even care if it's true. Yeah. I want to know that because then I can I can feel like it's true and yeah. make it true. Right. And like not even the powers of manifesting, but yes. I think having some sort of positive thinking is really powerful. Yes. Agreed. So that's so that I'm so glad that you had that. Same. So you get that diagnosis, mm-hmm. you have that meeting with your boss friend mm-hmm. and then do you go right into chemo? Oh, so
1: then I went to work. So then we, uh, he was like, what do you want to do? And I was like, I, like, I can't waste time. Like we are, I use this phrase again, but like game on. So we went to his office, I love Madison Park, called his dad. Because his dad is also like, he's like a coach. Like he's like an NFL coach. Like just tough, no BS. Like Frank is the man. And so I call him and he's been through it. So I was like, I just want to talk to somebody that had cancer. He's like calling dad. I was like, great. He's like, I'm so sorry you don't deserve this i was like okay he's like but we're gonna move past this i was like yep he's like all right a few things and he just like got down to brass tacks he's like you don't necessarily i don't know your kind of cancer but you might not have to do full chemo and i was like oh he's like you could do like 75 which wasn't actually true for me but he was like chemo sucks but there's ways to do things to make it feel better i was like okay he's like you're gonna be okay i was like you're right he's like i was given a five percent chance of living i'm good like you'll be okay I was like, all right. He's like, I went to this place, Hippocrates, which I'll tell you about after. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't talk about it in the keynote because it was too long, but that place was, like, heaven. Um, and he's like, you, this place, Hippocrates, is, like, the perfect balance to everything and incredible. You should go there after and da-da-da. So I talked to Frank, who was like, you're going to be okay. And I was like, okay, I needed to hear that. Thank you. And this is pre, like, PET scan to know if it's spread.
0: Like, Are you feeling okay at this point? Are you feeling So... Sick? If I'm
1: honest, I never had, like, a full-on breakdown cry session. I literally got, like, watery eyes when I'm thinking about losing my hair from, like, a vanity perspective because that was I something totally tangible yeah. and, like, controllable. And then that's, like, your, I- your part identity. Your identity. Yeah, yeah. And you feel like a woman that way and everything. And that was kind of it. I just never felt the urge. And my cousin, the psychologist, was like, you need to talk to someone. Like, why aren't you having a breakdown? I was like, I don't know, but I'm not burying an emotion i think when you were talking manifesting beyond just the positive attitude i felt in my core soul bones whatever you want to say that i was going to be fine so i knew that and i was like you have to just put like focus and totally get into survival mode and whatever and that's where you want to put your energy
0: it's almost like you took it on as if you are planning a big event, or yeah, totally an activation, totally, like, mm-hmm. and you just win it. Utilizing
1: those like skills, yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent, and. Um, I just felt like that wasn't gonna be productive, and I was, and it, and but again, I wasn't like, no, I have an urge to be really emotional and sob and cry, and I'm pushing it away. I didn't have that urge. I didn't have anger. Physically, are you, are you feeling? Is it painful? Are you? No symptoms. So I'm. That's why I'm also feeling disconnected from my body because I was like, this. How is this real? Because I'm fine. Like nothing feels wrong. Right. I feel good. I feel this lump in my leg, and I'm literally. I don't understand, but okay, I guess this is a problem. And I remember somebody, somebody at work was like, you know, this must be really hard for you because your body's betrayed you. And I felt like so upset by that. And I said, no, why would your body ever betray you? I was like, something's off. Like we're not communicating and I need to press pause, but nobody's betraying. I'm not betraying myself. There's just something here that doesn't seem to add up with logic in my brain, but also, I know that I have to deal with it. Yeah. And so that was the hard part because you feel a bump, but that bump doesn't send a message like, problem, problem, because I felt fine. Right. Um, so that was strange um, for sure. And then um, my cousin was smart enough to be like, hey, you're 31, you're single do you want to maybe freeze your eggs like we don't know what's happening we don't know if it's spread we don't know anything and I was like you're really smart so I did that my oncologist got so mad he's like that's like asking Midas if he thinks gold's cool like of course the fertility center is going to tell you to freeze your eggs that's what they tell everyone to do and I was like cool but are you going to be around when I want to have a kid and what if I can't am I going to call you and bother you and he was like it's not a problem. We haven't seen issues with that. I was like, I love you. Well, I didn't say that because I didn't love him yet. But I was like, I really want to believe you, but I don't feel like you're you guys actually track your patients that far to like check all that out. I think you just want to see if the sarcoma recurred, and that's pretty <laughs> much it. So we did that, which was also like through this whole experience, you just see the human spirit at this incredible level, like the kindness people showed and generosity was so encouraging and heartwarming to such a degree that i was like oh my gosh like nyu fertility um felt very badly that i was like in this race to freeze my egg before chemo and, blah, blah, blah. and they had closed the office on saturday before christmas it was like december 19th and that's when they were supposed to do the certain the like operation to get the eggs and they reopened it just for me to do it and they were so kind and i was like these women are work so hard it's insane in those fertility places because everyone's like so emotional it's insane (laughs) and um was that painful no, it's fine. It was like cramp. I didn't, I think it went really well because I didn't care. I was like, yeah. I was doing shots at work. I was like, what? This is so ridiculous. Like, I just want to get this done. I'm so much more focused on chemotherapy starting in a week and like yeah. wrapping things up at work than freezing my so eggs. So you worked
0: that month of December. You yeah. got through those events yep. and you did all yep. your stuff with cancer.
1: Yep. And then I worked, I worked the whole time, but I would take about two weeks off every month for each round of chemo. Um, and I would always be on email, but I wouldn't respond necessarily unless it was like fun things because I found that it was a really, it got me out of myself mm-hmm. and then you could focus on other things and sometimes it was seeing the ridiculousness and my mom and I would like laugh reading the manager log and she'd be like, why haven't they fixed that water machine yet? And I'm like, I don't know. And, um, I also liked kind of being in the loop cause it just was like a healthy distraction. Yeah. Um, and, that's what I kept saying to my family. I was like, listen, I'm not stressed out reading emails. Like, if I was getting stressed, like, what What happened with this event? And why is this guest upset? Yeah, am I going
0: to lose my job? Right. Or then, like, they would cut, so secure. cut it off. Right. Yeah.
1: And I would go into work, and like, with my wigs and, like, low blood counts. And sometimes I wouldn't go in because people would be like, there are four people sick in the office with, like, winter colds. And I'd be like, I'm not going. I can't be exposed to that. And then when I was able to go in, a lot of the classic, like, restaurant cultures, I feel like chefs are um, kind of the funniest people, like have such a great sense of humor that's super inappropriate a lot of the time and our uh, general manager, I said he's like, what do I do? I was like, just make me laugh and every time I came to work he would just come in and like gossip and tell the best jokes and I would be like in stitches and I was like, this is actually very healthy for me Mm -hmm. to get up, get dressed Like, I got um, Warby Parker fake glasses because I lost all my eyelashes and eyebrows and so it It was, like, a protector, but also then I just felt, like, a little more, like, presentable, but also I didn't want other... I was worried that other people would feel really, like, freaked out. So I had two wigs. That's a whole process and thing I'm happy to get into. And then had my fake warbies and, like, would put on lipstick and, like, get dressed. And I think that was actually good to do that rather than just, like, sitting in sweats all Absolutely. day for six months,
0: like you'd go crazy. And like you said, you knew that you were gonna be okay, yeah. and it wasn't like I may not make it. So right. there's no work to come back. Exactly. To. It was like yeah. another way for your yeah, body well to, said. Yeah, your body to, to keep going. Right. I was like, no, I'm gonna be fine.
1: I'm gonna jump back in. So. Yeah, I'll do it. And so I did. Just technically, I did um, six rounds of chemotherapy four before surgery and two after surgery, and I did radiation for five weeks before surgery. Mind you, I didn't even know the difference. Like, I, I didn't know what any of this was. And all my friends who are incredible were like, "What do we, we don't know about cancer. We don't know what to do. Like, none of what? And I was like, I know we're not really supposed to be dealing with this yet. But I, I'm going to tell you. And I'll tell you what I need. And I love you. And you don't have to know what everything is. And we're going to figure this out. And they were incredible and just the greatest humans. And work was amazing. And the industry was great. And give me all these yummy snacks and yeah one chef gave me um from Mylino because at first everybody's like you're just gonna get high all the time so he did marijuana laced applesauce because all I wanted to eat was applesauce which was actually great but then I ended up not I felt really sick and so I didn't that didn't work for me um some people it did but like that didn't um help with the nausea, I just made me feel worse. So I was yeah. like, no thanks. So my mom was like, what are these brownies? I was like, careful up too late <laughs> She's like running around my apartment. high. <laughs> Great. Um, and so, yeah. And the, it, it was incredibly intense. It was very like, um, you know, you get vanity goes out the window, which I think is really healthy. um, looking back but it was hard and then you feel like shit for six months which is which kind of sucks i think the best way to describe the worst rounds of chemo because the chemotherapy i did was 24 hours a day through this like pick line which is an internal catheter to your heart um and you would go home and sleep with it and it would make this like it sounds like an old cassette tape that's like stuck like a bad rewind sound which would drive me up the wall and it would just pump in twenty four hours. So it was horrible because you would be getting sick and like throwing up and being like, Well, I know why I'm throwing up from this thing. Like I would like to rip this out so I can stop feeling sick. So your body would be like, What what are we doing? Like we know what's making us sick and it's just still in there, yeah. huh? Um, so it was just you had to play this like mental game and and almost welcome the chemo as helping. So I would visualize like that, you know, when you have a really bad clog and a drain that's clogged you have to pour drano down and like you just got to let it sit and soak and then flush it and so i was like i'm just thinking about like the whole body is like being like cleansed with like bleach or dranos or something intense and like you don't really want it but it's gonna be the best like just major flush and get everything out and so you have to think of the medicine as medicine and helping rather than like the enemy because you can't have that collision um and that was interesting. And then, but you feel like, I think, your worst hangover
0: with the flu. Oh, my God. So it's just like, you
1: can't. It's just miserable. And you would do it. We did rounds of chemo for up to nine days. And I was like, oh, my, oh my God. Goodness. And they just pushed you with sarcomas and with Dr. and They would just push you to the edge. And he managed my expectations. He's like, I'm going to push your body to the edge because I've seen that's what works. And so as a result, I had five blood transfusions and four platelet transfusions because my, my counts were so low. So that was like the rhythm. You, you kind of do all the chemo. It depletes you entirely. They watch, you know, are constantly checking you every five seconds for your blood counts. And then they're like, okay, stop. Okay, bring in the blood. And I would have friends that would donate blood, which is actually really wonderful. And, and they would make the best jokes. My one friend was like, you wake up in the middle of the night and you just want pepperoni pizza that's my blood Uh
0: and i was like
1: Teresa, i did i want meat um and then uh anyway it was just you learn so much about the human body and i would like be chatting with the nurses or doctors and like it's so fascinating and learning about this and this and they were like what it is i was like yeah i wasn't a uh like science major i don't i didn't study any of this stuff um and you just learn and i think also like engaging with all the nurses and the doctors and trying to understand their story and getting them to tell me stories in the hospital was such a
0: positive distraction. You mm-hmm. used hospitality and really saw the medical industry from a hospitality perspective. Yes. Can you and talk get, about that? Yeah, and getting the nurses to tell stories. So I think
1: if hospitality is all about like how you take care of people and relationships, it's a relationship business, like many businesses are, um, but I think with hospitality, you want to get under people's skin in the best way so they want to return. And to do that, you have to make really genuine, authentic connections and it can't feel fake and it can't feel forced and it, you also have to be patient and let it develop. And I would do the same with the nurses because I was like, if I'm just sitting here for five hours, like I might as well get to know people. I've never had this much time. My job is so um, intense that I always feel badly if I don't feel like I'm able to really be present with people because I'm trying to multitask something or like finish an email while someone's talking to me and with being in the hospital it was this gift of just time like you're just here to like let this bag drip into your arm and it it's gonna go as fast as it's gonna go so instead of just like being on my phone or listening to music sleeping was encouraged obviously I'd be like okay let's learn about this nurse and like When's her daughter's birthday? And like, where's she gonna eat with her husband for her anniversary? And can I help her with a reservation? And what's it like being a nurse at a cancer hospital? Like, what's that like? What's her background? Why did she want to do this? And I'm so interested by people, um, probably something we both have in common, that it was just really nice. I also feel like the nurses needed to unload and vent a little bit. I feel like a lot of people weren't asking them those questions because they feel really crappy. Um, but also it can be so transactional sometimes that uh, they're, you know, if they're short staffed, they're rushing and I just made it a point to try to get to know everybody because then it made me feel better. So it was it was like selfish and then not at the same time, you know what I mean? Because it's, it was fulfilling on both sides and then there are three nurses I still talk to and they're just the greatest oh, wow. but I just have so much respect for what they do and like they have to be medically completely tuned in because the patients ask them questions that are quote unquote probably out of their like degree and paycheck but they have to know some sense but they can't give a equivocal yes or no because that's not really appropriate they have to like defer to the doctor of course so they have to kind of be medical experts they have to be therapists because they see all these dynamics, people have like total breakdowns. They're scared for their life. They're afraid they're not going to survive, or they have families that aren't supportive. Or that's a whole layer of challenge when pe- the outside people yeah. aren't dealing with it, and then they have to be like the rah rah, like I'm going to make you happy, and then they have to hold them accountable when they like don't follow instructions, or you know they'll say like call us if this happens, or please, you know, make sure you eat this or take this thing. And if patients don't do it, then they have to deal with the downfall of that and then not get mad at them. But then they're like, you're making this so much harder than it has to be. And they have to, like, remember to remember their, their file and, like, the, all their little nuances. Like, Laura likes a warm blanket. So-and-so only likes sitting in the chair. So-and-so is really sensitive in her left arm when she gets blood drawn. Like, it's so insane yeah. what they go through. But it's this like special chosen path and they're very saint-like like Like, I give them so much credit it's just one of the most challenging jobs I think and you have to like put your own stuff and your own life
0: Mm -hmm.
1: aside and then you're there running around attending to everybody for hours and it's just relentless and you kind of don't know what you're walking into every day Mm -hmm. Um, that awareness that
0: you had for that part of it I think is you're Curiosity and interest in people, like mm-hmm. you said, but I would love to. Through that experience, I, in talking about your life story, I feel like there must be some parallels between hospitality and the medical industry. Mm-hmm. Have you thought about that since mm-hmm. this experience? And yeah, you know, do you, you know, have any ideas of combining them, or do you? What are you? Yeah. Where you mean you really like have... in the future for me kind of thing? Yeah. Or I just, know, I, don't... I don't know. In general, like what are, Like what have
1: you Well, I think included? to what I was saying before, I think what's cool is how everything kind of brings, like where you are right now is where you should be. And I can see all the things that I've done in my life that have brought me to this moment in the best way. And so when we did the hospitality consulting business at Union Square Hospitality Group, we worked with two hospitals. In orthopedics, and after you went through, this was before. Mm -hmm. So this was it, yeah. Like fast, no, because I've been at Nomads. This was in like two thousand and ten. Wow. And I got to do spend a lot of time with like the nurses and PAs and all of that, and see like tension between the hospital hierarchy, and how like bedside manner and having and trying to get everybody to be on the same page about like. You want the patient to have a very fluid experience and work on the relationships. And like, I think if there are any roadblocks beyond all the red tape that exists in the medical industry and with insurance, that's like a whole separate conversation, but we would get them to kind of look at any issues between like the orthopedic surgeons versus the PAs versus the nurses, because people would treat each other with disrespect like you don't have my degree and so you don't really know what you're talking about but it was always linked to ego and it was so pointless and so we would get them to focus on the fact that it's like taking away from that patient experience and there's little things you can do even if you can't save something to the degree that you want to save it you can make the experience better and sometimes all people will remember about a hospital stay is the fact that someone like Took the time to ask how they were and not make them feel like a number because I think our, the industry is really tough. So, anyway, that experience totally put in my head that there is a link between the two because we did hospitality training for them. Um, and so, then experiencing it as a patient was fascinating because you're on the other side and you see ways that things are neglected and things are incredible and like mind blowing. And I don't know, it was, I just, yeah I tried to use it as like a learning opportunity to be like okay now I'm really seeing a lot from this industry and also cancer like what for young people and young women like would be helpful in the future and friends will call me now and be like so and so got diagnosed with such and such like what do I send them and I'm like okay well everyone's different but like one thing that everyone you know you get dry skin and you should take baths because if you've got like a pick line you can't it's hard to take a shower it's pain in the ass so like those things unfortunately come into use a lot because Mm. more and more people or the older we get I think just people get sick sometimes um one of the best things that came out of getting sick was um understanding spirituality in a different way and feeling like That was a whole awakening in a really cool way. Um, And that whole thing also was compounded with going to this place, Hippocrates, for three weeks. So it's this, it's called Hippocrates Health Institute. It's in West Palm, Florida. And it's this massive, like total immersive, wheatgrass, raw vegan, infrared saunas twice a day, colonics, um, gemstone therapy. Um, muscle, like, past life regression, like, everything, and it's three weeks, and I did the Cancer Comprehensive Wellness Program, which was fascinating, and it was all relating to the fact that stress is unhealthy, like, looking at stress more seriously, and how it's, it really can create stagnant energy and if you are at a state of like high stress for a prolonged period of time no matter who you are it's going to manifest itself some way whether that's something minor like i don't know hormonal issues acne right or something with your heart or cancer or whatever because energy gets stuck because Mm -hmm. you're not processing things and you're so worked up like and you can even argue scientifically that you get adrenal fatigue and all these things so that was, like, this fascinating awakening where I was like, oh, okay, I have to look at all that and look at how I'm prioritizing myself and looking at what it means to slow down and and really thinking, like, are my shoulders, like, clenched? Are they down? Like, what, where am I at with all of that? And so I think it's really given me space to be like, okay, like, I've got this perspective and I, I know what I need to feel good and I know how to listen to my body a lot more than I ever did. But... Through, so when you were asking about kind of like, kind of what's next or what could you do to incorporate the two, I'm not really sure, but I do know that, like, just as my favorite sort of side thing, is I've been so fascinated with studying all about different wellness modalities, but also herbalism and like the self healing, because I think that's really powerful. And having experienced traditional medicine Mm -hmm. and totally being on board with it and knowing that it saved my life in so many ways. I also know that I arrived at Hippocrates and I had massive swelling in my left leg where I had the surgery and I had a hole from the surgery that wasn't healing. And they were like, listen, let's see what happens, but you may just have a swollen leg forever because you had so much radiation there and like sometimes it just slows down the circulation. And I was like, I don't really accept that. That sucks. And, but I'm also grateful to have my leg because they're like, listen, if this was the 70s, we would have amputated. And I'm like, great. So Just I show up. the 70s. Isn't wow. that
0: insane? It doesn't seem that long either.
1: I know. So I show up at this place, and within a week of being there, I'm not exaggerating, um, and being raw vegan and doing all the things and calm and no phone and whatever, within one week, the swelling was completely gone and the wound healed. And I was like, okay, well, this is obviously doing something. Yeah. Um, and that was really powerful. And I've actually been raw vegan since for three years in this industry, which is hilarious. Yeah, Everyone laughs. They're like, I'm sorry, you work where and you eat how? I'm like, mm, yep, all the veggies all the time. Um, and I just find it works for me. And it's been cool to see an industry that wants to nourish people, but also wants people to like just indulge and love life. Um, seeing certain chefs that are friends of mine be so sweet and so creative and they're like, we can get down to raw vegan, like send me your list. I'll do an awesome dinner and they crush it. I'm like, you guys, this is very good.
0: That's amazing. Um,
1: which is really fun and so I'll do that.
0: You wow. mentioned spirituality mm-hmm. and seeing that in a new way. It's something we always talk about kind of in the third act of this podcast about, you know, what do you think happens when we die, mm-hmm. God, all of the things. I'm sure, you know, facing your mortality at such a young age definitely shifted your perspective. Can yes. you talk about that? Yeah, and totally. To
1: that um, I, and I actually saw you went to Mama Medicine, who's my fave. I've been to her twice, and she's oh, heaven. Oh, I went yesterday. She's so great. It was a delay. Yeah, we'll so have great. to exchange yes, notes side our past side lives <laughs> Oh, yeah, totally. Um, so, okay, few things. One... I felt and I was raised. My mom's Jewish. My dad's Episcopalian, and we were raised with like God is everywhere. But spirituality wasn't a massive part of our upbringing. It was just kind of it was less spoken about, but more just an understanding of like beauty translates to feeling grateful for your blessings. But there wasn't um, really much formality at all uh, in a traditional sense, and. My dad was like, just study a religion class and figure out what religion you want. And I never did that. My brother didn't either. So when I got sick and my friend, who's very religious in a traditional sense, she's Episcopalian. um, I was like, hey, you know what I realized is that, and this is true, the day I was diagnosed until I was in remission, I'm not exaggerating, every day I got like head to toe tingles. Mm -hmm. And she, just once a day. And it would wow. be, at like, different moments. And she was like, that was 100% God or whatever spirit you want to talk about. And I really believed that because there was a presence, like, of whether it was your guides or God or whatever you iteration you want to call it. But that was, like, the first kind of, <clears throat> kind of uh, scratching of the surface of that. And then throughout being sick, I went to this Healer, um, at the Ash Center for Comprehensive Medicine um, on the Upper East Side. So i Maureen, who's insanely talented. And she bridges, like, her healing. She was raised very Catholic. So she... But bridges the two in this very cool way. And so she has crystals everywhere and plays cool music and likes essential oils. And I didn't even know what we were doing. I'd never gone to a healer before. And I was like, I don't... Therapy doesn't seem right for me right now because I don't really want to talk. I just want to, like there's so much to say I don't really want to say anything or I would go to her super depleted and be like I have no energy and I would do vitamin drips up there and take their vitamins a lot which helped through everything like lots of vitamin c and quercetin and all this stuff anyway so I would be with her and she would put all these incredible crystals around me and and I remember so there'd be little clues that would keep raising my awareness of like more things up there and I remember one experience um where I was, like, in some sort of meditative state and saw this, like, there was, like, a tube of light that was, like, very diamondy, And there were these, like, little angel-type creatures, cherubs, like, giggling and laughing and sliding down this tube of light, almost like a railing. And it was just another validation, like, you're going to be fine. There's angels giggling. Like, you're good. Like, if things are laughing around you, like, nothing's somber right now. And... Um, then there were two experiences where I felt and I talked to mama medicine about this Mm -hmm. where I very much felt through two different rounds of chemo because I was by myself both times and I was by myself a bit but it didn't feel I never felt alone it was just more the way things would I everybody was a phone call away but I lived Mm -hmm. by myself and my parents were back and forth between Massachusetts and New York and um, my brother was in San Francisco But um, there were two experiences, and they were the exact same. And I would go to sleep being like, ooh, I know my levels are really low. I'm very weak. The doctors would be like, do not talk to anyone. Like, wear a SARS mask. Like, you have no, nothing left. Like, you are at the end. You're going to get a transfusion tomorrow, but, like, you know, careful. And I was like, okay. They're like, think of yourself as, like, a newborn baby or, like, a 99-year-old woman. I was like, okay, very fragile. So, and you're kind of out of it in that state, too. You know, you don't have all your wits about you because you just don't have all your, en- you don't have any energy. Yeah. And so I was in bed both times and it was like foggy thing where I felt like I was floating with my body again. And then I saw probably like being on
0: mushrooms.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Sort of me- probably trip. right. Total trip. And I was saw like above New York or above like the upper west side, above New York. Like then I was above the Berkshires and saw all these evergreen trees and it was very lush and I was like flying over and then everything, the air got like damper and colder and darker, but not scary, just like less life, like just more quiet and damp. I just remember see, feeling like I was in a fog of like kind of right after the rain or like being in like Scotland in like a rainy, cold climate kind of thing. And I was on top of um, an eagle, and it, I, we were I, he was like flying me, and I was right at the edge the, the trees started losing their leaves, and then I was still, like, up above very high. And then we la- we rested on top of um, these, like, skeletal-esque trees, you know, that were just only bark. And uh, we were on an—I knew we were on the edge of a cliff, but I couldn't see in front of me. It was all foggy, and it was damp. And I remember feeling like, oh, this is literally the edge. You're, like, on the edge of whatever—however you want to interpret that. And then I would, that would be my, like, last memory. And then I would wake up however many hours later. And the first breath I would take was, like, like oxygen back through my whole body. And I remember feeling like, oh, you're going to be fine. Like, you, you were on the edge, and you're going to be fine. And when I was talking to Mama Medicine about it, who's so talented and picks up on all this stuff, she was like, the eagle's your spirit animal. It's a protector. And that was your near-death experience and you had that twice and i was like yeah and she's like so that was you had that i was like okay well i'm I'm glad i'm here but it was this so to your point it was this crazy thing that i didn't even really process till like months after Mm -hmm. and there was something very um so i i was heavy in the sense that it made me have different perspective on everything and uh, also, a very different understanding and acceptance of death as part mm-hmm. of life,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and I it made me sort of understand death and what it could be like and feel like in a way that I never understood before. And it's very hard to articulate, but it's something that's it was all very peaceful because it's like part of it. Yeah. And um, anyway, so it was it, the whole the whole journey of like the wellness thing and spirituality and all of that is I f- have found that incredibly, um, like, riveting and inspiring and exciting and
0: calming
1: all at mm-hmm. the same time.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you know I mean. Totally. I want to go back to hospitality mm-hmm. and get to some quick-fire questions. But first, let's just, like, catch everyone up and tie cancer up in a bone. Oh, good idea. I'm... So happy that you're okay, and I'm so yes. sorry you've had to go through all of that. Thank but you. I'm it's so inspiring all that you've gained from it, and it, it really is such a beautiful story to hear you tell it from start to finish. So, two main questions one, do you know other than stress, is there a family history with this sort of cancer? Do, will it come back? You said you're in remission, mm-hmm. and then you know, yeah, where are you now? Sure,
1: so um. Let's see. I am three years cancer-free, which is fantastic. And then thank you. And it is not genetically linked at all. Um, we we have some cancer in my family, but not much. Like
0: mm-hmm.
1: somebody died of old age and also happened to have breast cancer. They found out my dad is MS, but it's he's very highly functioning, so that's not linked. And they don't know. They're not sure with a sarcoma. It's so rare. There's um. I didn't mention this. It's the chances of getting it, because all my friends also, every time they got a bump, thought they had a sarcoma. I was like, hey guys, I did some research. Um, One in three people per million. That's the chance of getting it. It's incredibly rare. So, no one has to worry. It's like, not a a rampant thing. Um, So, people should get things checked out if they seem off, but, um, (laughs) <laughs> That's yeah, let's, let's not yeah.
0: fear-mongering people yeah. listening to this yeah. podcast if they have, like, a sore hamstring. Yeah, you're right going okay. <laughs> <gonna> to be okay. You're going to be okay. Promise. i going um, after Barry's boot camp. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> uh, which I do. IBM, they told me I couldn't sprint, and I've been able to go to Barry's. I'm uh, like, hey, Dr. Healy, my surgeon. I'm like, hey, guess what? I can sprint. He's like, all right, take it easy. I'm like, I know. So, um... The chances of it coming back, I'm not a statistics girl when it comes to cancer. I don't really care about that or pay attention to it. I find it can just cause fear. Um, Last I heard, which was that first meeting with my oncologist, he has like a 95% success rate of it never reoccurring. So I just like go with that in my head. People ask like what stage it was. I don't remember. I did not pay attention to that. That's good. I didn't care. Um, And I think... Oh, my other little soapbox thing, which I think should be common a movement, is I don't like when they call it treatment because I think treatment is a word you use for spas only and because it has the word treat in it and I think it should be called like program medicine or just call it what it is, chemotherapy, radiation, yeah. surgery treatment to me is like a terrible word, but for cancer, I think treatment is you go to a, you get a massage and a facial, that's your treatment. Um, I, the chef that I was referencing who makes jokes, I was like, I I just hate that they call it treatment. He goes, uh, I go, what's the treat in cancer? He goes, you, well, if the treatment goes well, the treat is that you don't die. I was like, great. That's really great. (laughs) (laughs) Very funny. So, um, it, in terms of it coming back i don't believe it will i have to get scanned every six months people call it scanxiety because you can get really freaked out i think because i never had it spread fortunately i don't have that fear though i've had to go to scans and then get multiple scans because they're like there might be a spot here and i'm like what and they said you have to understand it's like looking at your face under a um very magnified mirror and like you see all these things you're like oh my god i have all these things on like my cheeks or nose or whatever and then you stand back and you're like i'm fine they're like the human body's not actually supposed to be scanned that much so we're gonna probably keep having you do triple checking scans because it's our job to be very That's nervous great. and careful so i think knowing that going in i expect like some weird follow-up like can you just also do this scan i'm like sure but um fortunately uh, all the scans have been clear consistently but um yeah, it's something that I think I think about every day just because something will remind me yeah. or I'll see my scar on my leg or feel my leg, which is it feels a little different than the other leg, but um, I don't anticipate it ever coming back. And I think uh, in terms of like when you asked about stress and a cause, I don't know. I think that it was something... I can see... I guess what I will genuinely say is that I can see that the benefits from having cancer at this point have outweighed having cancer in the sense that I feel like just much, i the way I look at the world now, I prefer over the way I looked at the world when I was 31, before I got diagnosed. Yeah. And that may be just a, you know, f- four years ago thing, or it, I really think it's largely due to having gone through something like that. Um, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I don't have any regrets and yeah. I wouldn't like change that because I don't know, yeah. which is a bold statement, but I, people are like, I roll like, yeah, right. But I really, yeah, it sucked, but, um, being on this side is such a good side to be on.
0: Yeah. Wow. So again, so inspiring to, to take us back to ho- hospitality when, when it comes to your day to day life you seem like you feel really great Mm -hmm. and you mentioned that you're still eating raw vegan Mm -hmm. and you work in hospitality Mm -hmm. we talk a lot about eating intuitively and body image and anti-dieting and finding physical pleasure in food as well as nourishment and you know food being fuel yes but also love and connection Mm -hmm. which you know so well from Mm -hmm. you know your career and your job Mm -hmm. and how you grew up to you know eating in this very specific way for your health Mm -hmm. not for vanity Mm -hmm. and i've never really spoken to someone who i've spoken to a lot of raw vegans and a lot of very restrictive people but it's never come from a place of non-vanity so i would love like how do you merge the two why do you still eat that way if you're so confident that you're healthy Mm -hmm. with your cancer Mm -hmm. And how do you find pleasure and connection with food still? Great question. So
1: I think it's twofold. I think um, you talked about being intuitive and listening to your body. That's what's guided this. So no doctor at NYU or Sloan Kettering is like, you should be raw vegan. They're like eye roll. They're like, what? What are you doing? We don't study nutrition and you're fine. Um, And Hippocrates obviously thinks that everyone should eat that way because they've seen a lot of success. I... Listen to my body and what it needs, and I think I've really honed that skill having been sick. And everyone asks me like, they're like, "When are you having pizza again? Like, what's up?" And I really enjoy eating this way because I've never felt better. So that is very much a driving core, uh, driving force. But also, um, I don't have an urge to have anything else yet, and I'm open to it. I've like said to myself, "Cool, if like you want something else, like, speak up. We can explore that." And I think, um, from a food, like education purpose, what I, the things I learned about nutrition and such at Hippocrates, which made sense for me and everyone's different. It's, it's a very like almost no sugar raw vegan because sugar can feed cancer cells. Um, so I have like fruit that's local rarely, pretty much it for sugar. And Um, and I'll talk about the pleasures after, but I feel like what makes sense for me is that I try to eat the food that is the highest nutritional value. And so that's the kind of raw vegan is, it's not just like, I'll just eat like a jar of almond butter and like, we're good. It's like tons of sprouts and incredible vegetables and salads and really delicious, like, yummy dressings and like coconut wraps that I put these great sprouts in and juices and all of that stuff. And I feel so good cause I know I'm nourishing my body, but then I feel like charged because I'm giving myself the highest nutritional like bang for my buck. And having had the control taken away from me for those six months where I was like the doctors, um, at the doctor's back and call whatever they needed. And I did whatever they said. And the, Ability to be able to like that concept of healing yourself. I feel like it's a constant thing and I look at food more as I Had 31 years of literally indulging in the best food around the world forever And then recently in the past three years. I've shifted the way I look at food to being this medicine and what's going to Make sure I stay healthy and vibrant and feeling so good and so I really try to link food to like how do you feel like am I feeling energized am I sleeping well how are my eyes and my skin and paying attention if something like feels off that way and I think um, I found it really fun and creative like I just love exploring new like ways to use like kelp noodles and all these recipes and like what cool little stores in the city because New York has so much great stuff like Oh, that's like a new kind of sprouted Brazil nut, and like, oh, it's high in selenium, which helps your thyroid, like, that's so cool, like, learning how things help you, Um, and I think the beauty has been that it's been like a fun way to stay creative, as I was saying, like, the chefs get motivated by it, like, I went in to eat at the Nomad the other night, And they're like what do you want and i was like ah some really great salad and i saw we have this like awesome organic tahini can you make a dressing with it i love it spicy and they're like made this insane dressing with like olive oil tahini salt cayenne and lemon juice and it was mind-blowing and then they took the tahini and they used that as a new like melon scallop dish or something for our summer menu because cool. they were like that dressing was good I was like yeah it's amazing I want to get your menu and oh my I god go 100% restaurant. I will show you and um, my mom being like a baker hello she's like yeah. gluten butter queen and like sugar queen of all things she um, has been so sweet and I have a lot of raw cacao because that's and I've gotten used to eating um, weirdly because my taste buds have changed 100% uh, chocolate, which I love, um, and so she's made these insane sun potion makes this stuff anandamide, which is with like tokos and cacao and ashwagandha and all the stuff. So she takes the anandamide and she mixes it with a nut butter, generally like almond butter, and adds seeds and also a hundred percent cacao, raw cacao as well. And she makes them into like little truffles, yum, and they're in salt. And there's something about them that may sound like disgusting because there's no sugar in it they're they're ridiculously good and addictive maybe because there's a little bit of that tocos in the anandamides that has a, like a little bit of a sweetness but we our whole family's not obsessed with them and like oh, they eat whatever they want like they all the time um and so i also think the biggest thing when I, friends have like gotten stressed out because everyone internalizes it and they're like should i be eating this way like oh my god your skin looks good and like you're you you do not have cancer anymore so should i do it and i was like
0: hey slow
1: your roll like this is what works for me right now it's not a forever thing i don't think but i just listen to my body and i really love it and the thing they said at hippocrates which i thought was so great is they were like listen if this starts this way of eating causes stress which is what i'm sure you've mm-hmm. talked about and and how you have lived your life too like if this is making you stressful figuring out how to eat this way you think it's expensive it's inconvenient you feel like you're not fulfilled and you're not full. That's not what it should be doing. So then maybe you shouldn't do it. And and counterproductive like, to the right, point. Right. You're supposed to not be stressed. It's supposed to be fueling and yeah. enriching and exciting and beautiful. And if it's a burden, then rethink it. And it's mm-hmm. not a burden to me. It's I find it. And maybe it's because I know this industry and restaurants. Like I can go out to eat anywhere and find something to eat. Steakhouses all have celery, carrots, lettuce, olive oil, lemon juice, and salt. And generally, like, some Kalamata olives. So you can figure it out. Like, yeah. everywhere I go, I find something. Me- all Mexican restaurants are perfect. You get, like, guacamole by the pound with, like, crudite. You're happy. Yeah. So I think if you don't look at it like, oh, I can't go out of the house, then, and you, it, it's just, I don't know. I just don't look at it as a burden, and I feel great on it. So until that changes, I will yeah. see the reason to change that it. That makes
0: sense. Yeah. It totally makes sense. You explained that in, in such a beautiful way. Thank you for going through that. Of course. Okay, let's... I could talk to you forever. You You are so fascinating. <laughs> let's kind of do some, some sort of quick-fire-esque yeah. mm-hmm. questions. Okay. What's the best thing you've eaten in the last week?
1: Ooh. The, my mom's... Those nut and meat cacao things... We're all obsessed. It's like <laughs> unbelievable. I was like, mom, you can't make me like 12, I'll eat them all, oh, they're so good, Like r- I don't save them. She's that like, I know.
0: I bet they'd be good in the freezer too.
1: But that's what we do, because they yeah. melt too much otherwise, and yeah. she's like, I don't know how to make these not, because this weather is like right. hard. So, yes, we put them in the freezer refrigerator, and they're like little truffles. That sounds amazing.
0: They're so good. Where do you hear
1: your intuition most? So I did a hu- the human design thing mm-hmm. with Jenna. Um, oh, cool! She's going to do the podcast. I love her. Yeah, and she told me that my what intuition um, projector. Me too. Love. I mm-hmm. know. Um, I always am thinking about that. I'm like, wait for the imitation. Wait for it. It's so brilliant. The human design mm-hmm. thing. I think it's so cool. Anyway, um, she said my intuition comes from my spleen. I'm spleenic. Hmm. So um, I always. What does that mean? Where is that? It's, like, on this side Okay. Explain. So I try to, like, think on my left side a little bit. So my intuition and something she said, which was so smart and stuck with me, you're in, when your gut and your intuition are trying to speak to you, it comes as, like, one feeling, it's, like, one whisper, and then it, it disappears. It's not, like, this lingering thing. She's, like, when something f- gets very loud and lingers too much, it's probably just your mind int- uh, interjecting it's logic and you have to cut it off and try to hone, so I've been really trying to hone my intuition because I think the inner voice is very strong, but it's a skill and like a muscle you have to yeah. develop. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel that my intuition comes from like my left side and my back.
0: Wow, that's fascinating. Okay, talk about the hospitality industry a little bit. I wanna know a couple things. Can you experience an event or a dining experience without looking at it from a critical lens? Mm-hmm. Or are you constantly thinking about work being in this this industry? So it's a great question.
1: Um, I always notice things. Mm-hmm. My mom's side of the family is insanely critical, sometimes to a fault, sometimes not. But we have a very observational eye. Actually, I will say one thing that I think my mom did that was brilliant, and I've told all my friends who are moms. When we would go to a restaurant, because kids in restaurants can be tough, we would walk in the restaurant, sit down, and they'd, like, pour water and get us, like, Shirley Temples. And she'd be like, okay, close your eyes. Close our eyes. And she'd be like, what color is the ceiling? Color are the napkins. Where's the bathroom? Like, ask us questions. So it actually was this really cool thing where we would develop these, like, paying attention skills. So we would know, like, we would come into... Re- and then we would start coming to restaurants and, like, not look... Just looking around, like, crazy people because we were trying to get That's all the details. Right. I love but that. But it's such a fun game. and I'm going to play that, like... Tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> with your boyfriend. Yeah. Um, but I actually think it's a... Because re- there's so many things you don't pay attention to, especially now that we're on our phones so yeah. much. But... Um, so she always uh, had us be very, you know, focused on observing things. And um,
0: with... Um, I just lost my train of thought with being critical when you're going, when you're having experiences like with events. Oh, so hospitality.
1: Right. So I notice everything, but I am able to disengage and not let it, mm-hmm. um, ruin or, or like make me f- lose uh, focus mm-hmm. of like who I'm with and what I'm doing. I always notice stuff yeah. but then I just, I'll either make a mental note or like screenshot something or whatever. I'm like, oh yeah, don't forget that or like that was super creative or that was terrible but moving on. Yeah. Um, so I notice everything. I don't know how to turn it off but I don't let it
0: uh, impact. Yeah. yeah. What about on the other end? Mm-hmm. What are some tips for being a superb guest? Mm-hmm. You know, having... Yeah. That, I think
1: it's it's like the basic stuff you learn in kindergarten. Like, I think it's just treating people like you'd want to be treated. And I always find everyone is something, everyone has a story, everyone's going through stuff, everyone has something to tell. And I think the kinds of people that work in restaurants generally are just, I find them so brilliant and creative. And there's, there you can just learn so much about people. And if you've got the time and you're not with like a table of six, I think always just engaging with, the server as if they're also a human being and, like, being like, yo, how are you? How's your night going? Mm -hmm. Those little things enhance the experience and can give you better service. Um, But I also think – I think the way to be a good guest is you should – I'm trying to think if there's, like, any fun little, like, tips that maybe people haven't heard in a while. Uh, I think the way to be a good guest is to – ideally show up on time for a reservation, to obviously be polite, to tip, and if something's not awesome, let the restaurant fix it in the moment rather than like writing a negative Yelp mm-hmm. review or a negative resi review. That's so hard for restaurants because they would so much rather, majority speaking, the majority of restaurants that I know would so much rather have the opportunity to fix something in the moment. Um, and everyone loves feedback, but to say like, Oh, we had the worst night of our lives. You're like so crushed. Cause you're like, I wish somebody would have said that like this or escalate it. If like the server's not doing it, ask for a manager cause restaurants want to make it right. Yeah. You know, most of them, um, all the good ones.
0: Yeah. What advice would you have for someone wanting to have a career in the hospitality industry? Maybe where you were yeah when you were I that think you actually letter.
1: don't have to go to school for it at all I think it's it's really one of those skills that's best learned in by doing it it's something that is hard to study it's really about picking up a knife or spending the time at the front door I think one of the best jobs anyone should everyone should have or tries like to learn how to be a reservationist and a maitre D or a host because you learn about people and first impressions but also how to engage with people and think on your feet and you learn incredible guest relating and people skills that i think are very hard to learn anywhere else Um, and with reservations when you're constantly having to tell people no we don't have your time slot available for your anniversary you can like being able to say no in a gracious way by giving people choices and finding a yes for them is also something that I think can be a really cool challenge. But um, I think you don't have to go to school for it.
0: Camilla I think just said get the in same there. thing. And yeah, just
1: dive that. in. Just dive in. And networking, I think everyone in hospitality loves to talk about, loves to share their story because we always are recruiting for good people because it's an industry that can have a, a lot of turnover but also – it's always needing people because you got to feed people and, and there's always jobs and hospitality.
0: I'm curious, did you read the book and or, and or watch the show Sweet Bitter?
1: No, I haven't done either. I have to. I, I'm reading um, the Nike book right now what is that one the oh, shoe I've heard that that's it's so good so good too Keith, uh, Phil Knight's book yeah about Nike.
0: I've heard that's that's really good I love that Sweet bitter is a delight I that's, hear it's great I, I just watched the show and is it good loved it yeah Everyone's, and I think you would really like it I, I, I think did, it's based on yeah
1: like, Union Square Cafe yeah.
0: I didn't know her
1: um, we I think she was in the company my first year okay company, I think she was a server there then yeah. But, yeah, oh, it's a crazy industry. Yeah.
0: And it's I'm, changed I'm a lot. Loving, I'm loving – I loved the Oh, show. fun. I'll look at it. Um, okay. What about – I'm sure maybe you don't have a, a typical day, but what is kind of – what are some things you do every way, every day self-care-wise? We always talk mm-hmm. about morning routines, maybe the first few things you do when you wake up in the morning, how that affects your day, and the last few things you do before bed. Oh, okay. Uh, it depends.
1: But I always – take a moment to, like, just acknowledge what I'm grateful for and appreciative of, whether that's sometimes out loud if I feel like talking to myself or silently. Um, I have a few very special, like, a little crystal area that my best friends, it's in the kitchen, my best friends from Napa um, live in Pope Valley, and there you can actually get rose quartz in this field, like, legit. It's crazy. So they, like... For my birthday um, sent me a little jar of them and they're super special. So I always like cool. hang out in my rose quartz and um, I love music. Music is my favorite thing. I always am listening to music and like singing and dancing like a, great, a silly person, but it, it's a really good release so I'll put on like a favorite song depending on my mood, whether it's like more mellow or super upbeat and I'll like bop around to some song that makes me happy and then i get my like tonic stuff ready for to take to work so i put the anandamine and then i put other like fun medicinal sun potion stuff in and that makes me feel very zen getting stuff ready for work um and i what else do i do in the morning i don't i don't really meditate in the morning um I walk to work, so that's a very. I make a point to walk to work every day. It's Where's a twenty-five minute walk. Uh, walk, twenty-eighth and Broadway. Okay. And so that is a very special time. I listen to music where I make phone calls to like my favorite people, and it's a great. It sets me like up perfectly for the day. Um, Do you listen
0: to podcasts?
1: I started listening. I listen to Camilla's podcast. Oh great. Um, for, that you guys did uh, on the walk. So I do listen to podcasts.
0: Great. That'll last you a couple.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I know. It was so good. Yeah, that's a few That's a few trips. It was a long one. Um, and at night, uh, it really depends. Um, I put on very, like, chakra opening, zen, like, kundalini music as I'm winding down, um, which is sort of my form of meditation. And uh, I light candles and we'll just do like I always I always stretch at night. Mm-hmm. I love touching my toes, cracking my back and then breathing.
0: That's great. And then I go to bed. I love that. Yeah. What would you say to someone with a cancer diagnosis or to yourself, you know, December 2014, December 4th?
1: Yes, I would say a lot of things, but I would say um Don't be scared. Well, that's easier said than done, but really try not to be scared. Um, And know that there is an incredible community of people in your life and people you don't know yet that will be there to help and support you and guide you in ways you would never imagine. And this this is part of a journey, and and a, a, from a practical standpoint, because this has happened, like a diagnosis is just that. It's like one diagnosis of one opinion. So if it's a very bad diagnosis, and I'm not a doctor, but that's the time to really investigate what that means and what that one person thinks, because everyone has opinions and reasons for those opinions and scans and things that things show. but. For every horrible diagnosis, there are a million story, not a million, a lot of stories of insanely overwhelming, miraculous recovery and survival from that same diagnosis. Mm -hmm. So you could, that's the same thing I always tell myself when there's like really horrible news. I always tell myself for like that terrible thing that just happened, there's three beautiful stories that nobody's writing about because it's not really exciting. Mm -hmm. And so there's always balance to the good and the bad. And I think if you're given a horribly scary diagnosis that take a pause, try not to be scared, like go within, breathe, learn as much as you can and don't lose hope because I believe that everyone has the ability to heal themselves. I really do. I've seen it um, firsthand and I think, um, you know, you can get a ton of people to help you and there's so many resources, but knowing that you can be the key to your recovery, I think it should be empowering. Yeah.
0: Can you touch on the vanity mm-hmm. and your? I'm looking at right now, you have beautiful eyebrows and beautiful hair. Thanks. What, what did that teach you? And, you know, talk about body image yeah. and just... We it's something we always talk about on, on the podcast. But can you touch on that? Yes. What that you were it was the thing you said you were most worried about right at the beginning. How did you handle that? So
1: I was really afraid of because that's something that's so like in within our control to think about like hair. Yeah. No no no, no it's me and then it means you're sick. Like f- shit. What I don't want to lose my hair because that means I'm probably not well. And That experience was not as bad as I thought with the losing of my hair. I went to my hair uh, stylist, who I love, and uh, her name is Robbie, and she's heaven. And I said, we're going to pull a Britney bitch. And she was like, well. I was like, we're going to shave my head because I'm not dealing with this. Because I started getting a really bad headache. Mm
0: -hmm. Um,
1: Let me back up. I had two wigs. One uh, was just your standard like off-the-rack wig. Another one, I had these angelic friends and they hooked me up with some guy that does wigs for like television and Broadway and they use your real hair. So they chopped my hair very short, which I always had long hair my whole life because I don't like short hair and I've known that I don't like it, but I haven't ever tried different hairstyles. I've had the same hair my whole life. So yeah, you know what you like, right? So um, I had short hair and then I started after the first round of chemo, getting these massive headaches and like the hair was starting to come where you could sort of pull it and I was like, no, no, I'm not waiting for this to fall out. So I went to Robbie and was like, we need to shave my head, I have such a bad headache, I think it's part of the hair follicles like releasing, I don't know. And she's like, okay, you sure? It's an open salon. I was like, I literally don't care about what anyone else thinks, like I'm in a state of, this is my state, I have blinders on to everyone else. She was like, okay. So she shaved my head, and it actually like looked pretty good because I was fortunate enough that I was a C-section baby, and so my head's perfectly <laughs> round. So my mom was like,
0: cool. I guess
1: I did the right thing in the '80s. I'm like, yep. Um, and so we shaved my head, and I was totally fine being bald. I thought it was like fun, and then everybody works like, you're such a badass, and I was like, thanks. Even though I would, I did not rock the bald head at work, and it was also winter, so it was freezing. Um, and lots of beanies, cashmere beanies that were like very comforting. Um, and so I found actually what I struggled with was, and this was like a skill that is hard for all of us, I think, especially in this day and age, um, losing all of your hair and I was in such a vulnerable state and I was so not focused on it. So it stopped, it, it just faded away, I didn't care, I wasn't there to impress anybody, I just wanted to be healthy and get through this insane experience, and to stop feeling like crap, and I was so focused on like, the different milestones that I needed for all of this stuff, the challenge I had in terms of vanity was the regrowth process, which I wasn't expecting, Um, and I, that was really hard because it really tested my patience, because my body had ballooned from all the steroids. So Body image wise, one thing they did at NYU, which was brilliant, is that they weigh you in kilograms. So you don't know if you've like gained 20 pounds or lost 20 pounds. And then the nurse, and I only wore like sweatpants, so I didn't know. I just knew that I was feeling very ballooned. And I remember this one nurse was like, hey girl, I'm just going to say this, that like most of the time, the people that are really frail and thin are quite terminal and not healthy and in, in there are in a very bad place so you should be glad that your body's able to gain weight and hold on to it it means it's working like mm-hmm. it's functioning and you have all of the bodily like your body's functioning this is good um and you need food to help fight the disease and process the chemotherapy like it was um, a vicious cycle. So if you didn't eat and you were doing chemo and you were nauseous and you still and you kept not eating, the nausea would get worse. And then you're weak and nauseous and like have no strength. And you need strength to process everything that your body's being exposed to. So that rationale like made sense to me. So then I got on board with that and was like, all right, I need to figure out how, what food to eat and just eat whatever I eat whatever I wanted, like whatever I craved. Um, anyway, so then the regrowth process and the like shedding of the things, Hippocrates helped kickstart that because it was like very mind-body-spirit, so it wasn't just about food. And naturally, I shed weight just from like the steroids wearing off and the infrared sauna because I was like at a like my heaviest I'd ever been because it was just pumped full of of uh, medicine. And so then I started being like, okay, and my hair slightly started growing back, and I was like, we're good, we're good, and so you're very appreciative, but you struggle with being grateful, but then being thrown back into your life, and being like, yeah, but where's all my hair, and like, where's my eyebrows, and how come these clothes don't fit, and what do I do, and ah, I'm so impatient, but I'm also so glad to be here, and I don't want to focus on this nonsense that I know now is nonsense. Mm -hmm. So it was definitely this interesting dichotomy, but what won out was just acknowledging the little milestones like that's the only advice I would give and not everybody had that experience and won't have that experience um but for me it was saying like okay like guess what your hair is in a place where you can do a little braid like that's awesome you're gonna have to just celebrate that and be cool with the fact that it's not gonna be in a ponytail yet and then like gets to a ponytail and you're like <gasps>
0: ponytail
1: or like okay well hey girl give yourself a break you're not able to exercise yet because your leg's not healed okay now you're doing yoga okay you still like you still don't feel like yourself yet but you're crushing um pigeon like a tree yeah. pose so you have to i think i was i learned that through not feeling like myself physically and maybe visually you learn to like appreciate the little steps that you take because you forget that you pretty much just like clean slated it like you magic erased everything and then my friend and I were talking and she's like it's almost like you're reborn in some weird way and I was like yeah I'm like in the chubby baby phase (laughs) and then my hair starts growing in and like if you can be playful about it and not put so much pressure on it and I was so much more aware of stress I guess that's the big takeaway that I was realizing if I started getting worked up about it that I was doing I was like reversing all yeah. of this progress I'd made um and I didn't if I'm being fully honest I didn't fully feel like myself physically and like and from like a vanity standpoint until um probably 2 years in it took a while just because the way the hair growth process is and like just the reacclimating to like everything and exercise and my legs capabilities and non, and just being patient with the recovery. Yeah. Um, and then you start realizing like, this is a gift, this process and time is kind of irrelevant. So stop putting any, you know, timeline stuff on it, like let it go. And then just, you have to find appreciation and you should find appreciation for all these gifts and little things you're getting. And then I'm like, wait, my skin's better than it ever was. And like, okay, this is awesome my hair growth hasn't happened because, like, I don't have to shave my legs. Like, this is great. So you find all these little things. And then friends and family were so encouraging. They're like, we love you with short hair. And I was like, I hate it. I fully hate it. But I appreciate you saying that. They're like, no, 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 your eyes pop. And I'm like, thanks. But, um, you know, you know what you like in yourself. But I think uh, it was definitely, it's been, a, like, a massive journey. Yeah. Um, wow. For sure.
0: So when- just I keep saying so inspiring, but really like you're so articulate talking about this. Thanks, and it's Katie. it's really, really cool. Okay, so what's on your mind now? What have you been realizing, contemplating, learning today? What have you been thinking about this week, this month? So what are you excited about? Great questions,
1: all the things. Um, I feeling great, truly. I've been thinking about Actually, what's really been on my mind is thinking about two things. One, my sweet 97-year-old grandmother is heaven, and Mm -hmm. she's lived, born and raised New Yorker. She's the epitome of elegance and, like, the last lady is what I always kind of refer to her as. I want to meet her. Oh, my gosh, she's heaven. But she's unfortunately fading, but it's been really interesting. Like, What's on my mind right now, I, I saw her earlier today, is she's, like, kind of set. She was married to my grandfather for 69 years. They got married to the Pierre in the 40s. Like, they're just the best. He passed away three years ago, and they were each other's life. Like, they never were not around each other ever. And it's such a different time, um, obviously, in a variety of reasons. But she's fading, and it's this thing that's actually really peaceful and beautiful, and she's sort of articulated that. She's like, you know, I'm really ready, and... I kind of know why I'm still here and like what a cool lady and she's the best and I've been processing what I was sharing with you earlier about like my feeling towards death and mortality from having been sick and that experience and then trying to also share that with other family members who are struggling with it and I'm like it's not a tragedy she's 97 this is the most she's been it's amazing we've had her around this long and she's mm-hmm. mentally fully with it like her body's just super frail because she's just incredibly old. Yeah. So I've been thinking about that and like the fragility of life and um, but also the beauty in endings and new beginnings. And I've been thinking a lot about manifestation. Um, I love Lacey Phillips, free native. She's a doll and brilliant and I've um, spent some time with her. And um, the other thing that I've been thinking a lot about is when I, my favorite thing about my job is my team and being able to manage people and like grow, grow leaders and trying to create a space where people want to come every day and they feel supported and they feel independent and they feel um, that they're growing and challenged and I think a big thing I, I try to focus on is making sure they feel appreciated but also pushing them to then not let things bother them because things don't bother me the way they used to and and it's not apathy. It's just a different way I look mm-hmm. at things. I don't know how else to sort of put it. And there'll be something at work where some guests will be freaking out about something ridiculous. And it's totally silly. And that will really send one of my team members into a tailspin and a tizzy. And I'll be like, why are we letting... Why are you letting this bother you? And it's not because I, I'm i saying it you shouldn't let it bother you. But I'm like, why is this upsetting you so much and it's interesting because either it's always about something else or which i'm like that's exactly why you're feeling that from the guest because it's not about you either (laughs) they're (laughs) mad about an argument they had with their husband that day also i'm like we have to work on this skill where you don't let this stuff ruin your day because it's just not going to matter in like six months you're not even going to remember this like Mm -hmm. you've got to there's more going on here and there's more fun and there's still so much that you have you're in control of how you react to things not what happens Mm -hmm. so if you have that control then focus on how you're going to react differently so you are evolving in the sense that you're like above all this nonsense yeah and I have even I was talking to a friend today about a relationship problem she's having and I was like you're you're in this hamster wheel of the same thing and you're not going to get a different response if you don't change the behavior. And it's making you miserable. The bad's outweighing the good. So, like, step outside of this nonsense. Like, rise above it. Be on a different frequency because it's just... It's weighing you down and you don't have to accept that. Yeah. So those are the musings of the day.
0: (laughs) Okay, so as you know, the name of this podcast is Let It Out. Yes. So before we go... Is there anything else that you want to let out? This is the time to recommend things. You know, tell me your favorite TV shows, movies, books, foods, uh, like Last Meal, podcast, music, maybe some music recommendations. What are you listening to?
1: Great. All of the things. Um, okay. I think uh, that there's this one product I'm obsessed with, They're coconut wraps, um, oh, those are good. They're just so good. Sunfood makes them, but you can wrap all the things in them, and they're just made with coconut meat, and they're freaking delicious. So coconut wraps, I'm obsessed with. I'm obsessed with Tenth Street, in New York City, because it has all the best things. I've decided. I walked like pretty much the whole span of it the other day, and I was like, wait, this is a dream. There's Cap Beauty. There's the
0: Crystal Shop. The Crystal Shop. I
1: mean. Yes. <laughs> Flower or Flower Power is on Ninth. Yeah. So that's not fair. Right over there. But right there jacks like there's everything on 10th and 9th it's just like dreamy and i'm obsessed with flower power these days i've been going all the time and i just love how hippie down okay
0: yeah i want to take the herbalism course
1: so okay i found no i would love to do that but i found one online that i've been doing it's brilliant they're out of bedford massachusetts um it's like the herbalism academy of massachusetts i don't even know it's fantastic and you have like three years to complete it because they know people don't really have time for full time with that um i love cat beauty it's my favorite facial in new york city and their products are insane and i use all non-toxic stuff and i'm a big fan um i think they have my book they what they oh i saw it i saw it i was in there yes two days ago and i was so happy to see it it. it's so good. And um, I have their book on my nightstand. Oh, the ha- they're so cool. It's so fantastic. Yeah. Um, okay, so those are like little things that I'm loving. And um, it's such a gem in the city. Such a gem. And I think uh, music wise, the song Don't Stay by X Ambassadors is like my new fave song. I listen to that all the time. It's, I don't think it's that new of a song, but it's the best. And um, I think a lot of people in the summer feel like, I have to get out of the city, I have to go on vacation, it's too hot, it smells, blah, blah, blah. But I will say that there's a lot of little, like, special um, oasis-type places in New York. You just have to know where to find Mm -hmm. them. And I love the city in the summer because it's pretty empty. And I think that's something that's really special. And um, you can really, in most cities, that can be the case. And you can really go to places you don't normally go because they're normally so crowded in the summer.
0: What are some of your favorite summer oasis?
1: <laughs> I love ABCV right now. Oh, I mean, that's an indoor place. Um, my they have room.
0: a little tiny outside. Yeah, yeah, me. there you go. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I
1: love walking around New York. And then Same. just, I just, it's my favorite move. Yeah. It's like what I do in my free time. Yeah. Show up all around the city, explore new neighborhoods. Um, oh, I did a fun pottery class in Brooklyn with my friend Wilkinson Ceramics. They do these amazing little pottery classes you don't use the wheel but you just glaze um and make mugs and such i'm picking up the mug this week and in the facility is anuma mundi that place from south america they sell their products all over and it's kind of like a sun potion they have all these herbs and medicinal stuff they make this most insane coconut milk powder that you can use as a creamer that's insane and they make like tonics and All this great Fine. stuff. Um, I
0: want to hang out. So go to we places. do
1: that and it's in Greenpoint. And I just discovered it.
0: Green. Um, have you I been to Maha Rose them? in Greenpoint? No. You would love it. I just did an event there last two weekends ago and it's like a crystal shop. They have workshops, they oh, have all cool. the things. Oh, all right, yeah. So game on. Yeah. Love. Okay, so I've been ending with this sort of weird way, but I think you'll be into it. Okay. So it's someone told me while I was getting massage I and mean, video class to. Breathe in and then let it out. So we'll take a big okay. breath together. Okay, ready? Yep. Yeah. <sighs> okay, that was my episode with Laura. Oh, man, isn't she inspiring? Please send this episode to anyone going through cancer... Not treatment, because she said that that word is reserved for spas. So cancer, getting well from cancer. Send this to them. And let me know what you think. Please share a review in the Apple Store if you wouldn't mind. That would be so helpful. If you're still listening right now, it would be really cool if you could review this podcast and subscribe on your iTelephone or your Android Telephone. That would be really cool. Are there any other kinds of telephones? I'm not sure. But um, that'd be cool if you could subscribe. I'd love to see you in New York City either on the 25th or on the 31st or both. And at GoodFest. Also support the sponsors. They're my favorite. I love you guys. And next week on the podcast is Mastin Kip. Maybe you know him. Maybe you don't. I hope you listen either way. And the emoji for this week's episode is the fork and the plate and the knife. It's in the food section. We talked a lot about hospitality and I just, I really like that emoji. Actually, I don't really ever use it, but it'd be fun to use it here. So comment that on my Instagram. I'll also put Laura's Instagram so you can follow her as well. And let us know that you're still listening. And please share this podcast with a friend. Again, it's really easy to do that in your iTelephone app, you can just text it to someone this exact episode. I love you guys. Thanks for listening so much. I really mean it. I'm so grateful. Honestly, I only partner with brands that I genuinely use and I love and I couldn't be more excited. It sounds like a silly ad, but you know what? It's true. I really genuinely love Four Sigmatic. They make mushroom products with multi mushrooms that are super foods like chaga and reishi and cordyceps and lion's mane the gang's all there you guys but here's the best part they make them taste amazing and they make them so simple to use the product of theirs that i'm using the most right now is their chai latte mix i love me a good chai latte and this one doesn't have the sugar that gives me a headache when I have it. Instead, it has really great superfood ingredients. I love just mixing mine with some hot water. I'll carry the packets with me When i'm traveling or honestly every day and i'll just ask at the coffee shop i'm working from or at the airport for a cup of hot water and i'll just pour my packet in and mix it up if i'm really getting fancy and i'm at home i'd like to mix it with macadamia nut milk that's my favorite right now but almond milk or regular milk or whatever kind of milk you like works great with all of their products they have a hot cacao mix that i love and here's how i used it this morning because i seem to always record these after i just had breakfast i love mixing it with my coconut yogurt i just put a whole packet of any of their varieties i especially like their hot cacao with yogurt because then it tastes like i'm eating chocolate ice cream my friend and producer of this podcast amanda likes to put it in her oatmeal we love this stuff you guys they also make coffees and matchas if that's what you're into it's the best. I love it. Superfood ingredients. They have half the caffeine of regular coffee, so you can have two or three of them a day. I have friends who literally drink multiple cups of this throughout the day instead of coffee or in addition to their coffee. I'm not a coffee drinker, to be honest with you, so I don't really have their coffees, but my boyfriend likes their coffees, and I like their hot cacao, and I love their matcha as well as honestly they're my favorite which is the chai all right I love them so much I hope you'll give them a try if you haven't already go to foursigmatic.com slash katie to get 15% off your order that's foursigmatic.com slash katie and use the code katie k-a-t-i-e that's my name for 15% off your order thank you Four Sigmatic. You guys probably know that I've been fascinated by my own personal relationship with technology, specifically my phone, and even more specifically social media, which is why I partnered with Lil Space. Lil Space, L-I-L space, is an app. That is about building community and taking breaks from our phones. I honestly believe that we are all addicts walking around addicted to this slippery glass brick we keep in our pockets. And it's making us disconnected from each other and more connected to this technology. And this app helps me, I'll speak for myself, break the bad habits I have with my phone by developing some healthier ones and rewarding me for the time I spend disconnected from my phone. You can join different groups about different things and the best part about this app is it makes me feel less alone and it helps me to unplug and while I'm doing that I can support causes that I love and earn rewards. I love this so much and here's the thing, they are allowing me for the month of July to Make this challenge, which is called Let It Out, Unplug for a Cause Challenge. And I got to choose my favorite organization, Real Girl, which is an organization that I love so much. I've even had the founder on the podcast. It's all about guiding girls towards reaching their highest potential, young girls, starting at the age of nine. And for every minute we spend unplugged, we'll raise $1 to donate to Real Girl. So please check out Lil Space. You can go to getlilspace.com. G-E-T, so getlilspace.com. Or you can just download in the App Store, Lil Space app to download it right to your phone and I just think it would be so cool if you helped support real girl and checked out this app. Thank you so much to Lil Space for supporting the podcast. And for you for supporting yourself, getting off your phone. The music you're hearing behind me now and all other original music in this episode is composed by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs. The album art is by artist Zoe Harmon and this podcast is produced and edited by Amanda Sharp and hosted by me, Katie Dilbao. Check out our website for show notes to everything mentioned.